Amen. Come on, let's talk to him for a moment longer. Lord, have your way in this place today. We open our hearts, God. Lord, we remove every barrier, Lord. We want to move of your spirit today, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. What a powerful presence of God that has filled this place today. I'm telling you, it's a great day to receive the Holy Ghost. It's a great day to get a miracle from God. Look at your neighbor and say, it's here. What do you mean it's here? Anything you need, it's available today. Amen. Friend, we're not waiting on God. We're not waiting on God to get ready. God is ready. But God is looking for a people today that says, God, the only thing that matters in my life is a move of the Holy Ghost. See, whenever you're ready, you don't have to wait for an altar call. You don't have to wait for protocol. All God needs is a hungry heart. And God says, I'll move when somebody is hungry. Ah, Lord, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. I was preaching in Palestine, Texas, Brother Shiflet's church earlier this year. There was a man there, 24, 25 years old, young man, only preached a few times in his life. And, and he was trying to work with the youth, and, and he, he was doing his best. And they asked him, one of the prison, the, uh, the chaplain there in the church went to the prison all the time. And, and uh, he said, I want you to come preach in the prison. He'd only preached a few sermons in his life, but he said, oh, whatever, I'll go preach. So he preached on a Wednesday night. They, they're only a lot of an hour on a Wednesday night. And he, said, he came back and said, man, it wasn't much of nothing. But they asked her to come back on Saturday night. Saturday night, they had a full-blown service, two or three hours. It didn't matter. He come back on Sunday morning, and he was set ablaze. He said, you got to understand something. He said, I got up there, and I just preached what little bit of, of faith I could. He didn't have the most eloquent words. He wasn't there to impress people with a new thought. All he knew was, I just preached Jesus, because that's all that really matters. He said there were a couple hundred men packed in this room. I call it a captive audience. He said at the end of this, at the end of my little sermon, I, I opened up the altars. He said, and Brother Tyler, he said there was a man in a wheelchair. He said he rolled himself down to the front of that altar. He said, I'm standing over here to the back. I didn't even really know what to do. I just kind of moved to the back. He said, and I'm watching this man in this wheelchair. He said, he lifts his hands to heaven and he begins to magnify the Lord. He said, he stands up. He said, he walked to me and he pushed his wheelchair out of that service. Friend, all you need is faith in God. I don't care what you came in here facing. I don't care how bad it is. If I can get you to believe that God is still on the throne and He governs the affairs of men, you can leave with your miracle today. My God. Amen, 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 amen. I believe you can get the Holy Ghost today. I believe it. Amen. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 6. 
The Lord laid a word on my heart late last night walking these aisles. The Lord spoke two phrases to me, and I said, God, this don't even make sense. You ever have those kind of experiences where it, don't, it just don't make sense? I said, God, if you want me to preach this, you're going to have to, first it's got to make sense to me before it'll ever make sense to somebody else. And so the Lord began to talk to my heart, and I, I believe that if we'll hear the word of God, the Lord wants to move in this place. The Bible says in Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the, the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From, thence, from whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? It's not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he, Jesus Christ, God Almighty, robed in the flesh, marveled, scratched his head looking at these people because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. That was the first thing God spoke to me. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, will a man rob God? I'm not preaching on time. Don't, don't grab the back of the pew yet. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. He marveled and looked at these people and scratched his head because of their unbelief. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. I want to preach for a little while. Robbers of divine opportunities. Robbers of divine opportunities. I believe the Lord wants to step in this place in a mighty way. And if we'll get our faith level where it needs to be. If we'll get our belief in God where God can move in spite of your circumstances, I believe we can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Ghost. Let's lift our hands right now. Father, in the name of Jesus. I'm asking God for every spirit sent from hell to distract and to oppose the work of the Holy Ghost. Lord, I pray that it would be bound and rebuked in the name of Jesus. I'm asking God that you would move in this place in a powerful and a magnificent and a marvelous fashion. I pray, Lord, that everything that opposes the work of God would be set at bay and we would leave, Lord, knowing we have been in the presence of the Most High God. Lord, do a work in this place in the name of Jesus. And we clapped our hands unto the Lord
Jesus, do a work, Jesus. Lord bless you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Robbers of divine opportunity. God's ability to produce, create, regenerate, provide, and perform has left countless individuals in wonder and amazement time and time again. The Word of God has given us insight regarding this power as it relates to fallen humanity. In fact, it predates fallen humanity. In the midst of Job's grief, in the midst of Job's problems, when it seemed like nothing could get worse in Job's life, God intervened Job's pity party. God stepped in the midst of Job's dilemma and spoke a word to him almost boastingly of what happened during creation. I will take a small portion of Job 38 and bring before you this morning. The Lord told Job, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast an understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth, as if it had issued out of the womb? On and on the Lord goes in Job chapter 38 and Job chapter 39. And it's almost as if God put the pause button on Job's pity party and said, Job, let me remind you of my power one more time. Friend, there's times we just need to be reminded of how powerful God really is. We can get blinded by our dilemma. We can get blinded by our problems. We can focus on everything else except God. But I pause to tell you this morning that God has not changed with time. He's still the same. Regardless of what you face, regardless of how bad it is, He still governs the affairs of men. He still sits high on the throne. His word said, I am the Lord. And I change not. And what he said to Job can be said to us this morning. God took a moment out of Job's life to remind him, Job, I know it's bad. I know it seems impossible. I know there's things going on in your life that you don't understand. Things that you can't put the pieces of the puzzle together. But Job, just because that's happening in your life, it doesn't diminish my power. It doesn't diminish my capabilities. And you need to be reminded of how powerful I really am. I believe this morning that when God performs a work, I fully believe he soaks up the applause of heaven. I believe that God takes pleasure in doing a work. I wasn't there at creation. None of us were. We only have small insight into what creation was like. But I I wonder how loud and how thunderous the applause of heaven was when out of nowhere came light. Think about it. I wonder 
what the sounds of heaven were like when God thought about trees and water and fish and et cetera, et cetera. I wonder if after everything, God paused just to soak up the glory that he received from doing something miraculous. I wonder if God paused all throughout the Old Testament every time his children were in need and God performed. I wonder if every time manna fell and quail came, if God sat back and he just, he soaked up the glory that he received from doing a mighty work. I believe that God delights in doing things for his people. In fact, Matthew said this, Jesus said in Matthew of ye then, being evil, Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? I believe our legitimate needs tug at the heartstrings of God. I know how I feel when my children come up and want something. I'll put everything I had in the buggy for me. I'll put it up. Come on, parents. We'll be real. Why? Because when that baby comes up to you and they want something, my need isn't as important as theirs. They, I could have bought five of them and they broke them already, but I'll buy them another one because it tugs at my... So, so I inherited this trait from my father. I inherited this trait from my maker. So imagine how God feels when our legitimate needs are expressed to him and he sees a desire of our heart. I believe that it tugs at God's heartstrings. And when God performs a work, I believe he soaks up the applause. God, I thank you. Every time we think of I believe God soaks that up. I believe he enjoys that. I believe when glory is given to God uh, over the miraculous that God somehow just sits back and basks in that glory. I believe that. God loves nothing more than healing a broken heart. He loves nothing more than providing for his children or cleansing a sin-stained soul. I believe it does God wonders when he sees somebody who, who we have wrote off or whose society has wrote off and they come down to an altar and God cleans them up and they go on to preach the gospel. Friend, I believe every time God looks at that person, he delights in his work. What men said was impossible. God gets the most glory, the greater the impossibility. When we wrote them off and said there's no way that that person could be anything or there's no way God can intervene right now. or And when we label it as a no way and God steps in, I believe there's a smile on God's face because nobody thought it could be done. But the one who holds all power stepped in the situation and he performed the work. Understand with me today that God delights in doing. His power is exemplified through the needs of, of his people. His strength is on display when we are at our weakest. And his glory is revealed when it looks the darkest. And one would think today that we would always let God have his way. One would think that we know how powerful God is. We, we've read this book through and through, one would think that we would just let God have his way in every situation, but the reality is quite different. And there are some people who choose to rob God of opportunities where his glory could be on display in their lives. 
Malachi makes a statement that reverberated in my spirit last night in prayer. Will a man rob God? He poses the question and then answers the question. Yet ye have robbed me. Now I know that that's speaking of tithes and offerings. I understand that it's applicable. But God spoke to my spirit last night and said that that statement reaches beyond the monetary realm. We all know about the tithes and the offering. We, we understand that. Uh, but I believe that steps into a dimension of our life uh, that we uh, subconsciously ignore. And that is every time God desires uh, to do something in our life, uh, whether it be heal our body, uh, whether it be provide, whether it be fill you with the Holy Ghost, uh, and we ignore God's desire because of our unbelief. And when we do that, we have robbed God of an opportunity to display His power. We have robbed God of an opportunity where His glory could be revealed in our home, in our church, in our community. Every time we allow unbelief to grip our spirit, we are guilty of robbing God of an opportunity to reveal his power. With God robed himself in flesh, he graced this earth with his physical presence, knowing that he had but a short time to do as much as possible. It was Jesus who stepped into the midst of real people. He didn't go to the elite of society, but he went to real people. They had real problems. They had real sicknesses and ailments and, and troubles and etc. I would compare them to everybody here today in the sense that we're all real people. And the Bible said that he could do there no mighty work save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled. It threw God for a loop. How? His power was so available. His presence was so real. And he could not even scratch the surface of what he wanted to do because there was a group of people that robbed him of that opportunity. They were bound by unbelief because it wasn't happening how they thought it would happen. And many times, we won't embrace what we can't understand. But God doesn't need your understanding. He just needs you to believe He can do it. God doesn't need you to figure Him out. He just needs you to have faith in Him and believe that He is able. There's no way you'll be able to figure God out. But if I can get you this morning to believe that God can change your situation, to believe God can fill you with the Holy Ghost, friend, you can be changed. If I can get you to believe today in terms of what God did compared to what He could have done, I believe it would be deemed as somewhat pitiful, but not because of God's lack of power. Not because of God's lack of desire, but because of the element of unbelief that robbed him of every time he could have done something. It robbed him. It stole it away from him. 
I believe that God, we don't read about it, but I believe it's quite possible that God passed by people who he was well able to do a work in their life. In fact, could have had all intention to stop and do a work in their life. But he perceived in their heart that they didn't really believe that he could do it. And thus they missed out on a miracle. They missed out on what God could have done because they didn't believe. We scratch our heads just like Jesus and wonder how could these people that we read about, how in the world could they miss out on the miraculous? But friend, I've left services even this year and scratched my head and wonder the same thing. How could somebody sit through that powerful presence of God and leave the same way they came? How could somebody... Hear the preaching of the word. Feel the presence of God. Yet they leave the same way. And they robbed God of an opportunity to show his power in their life. I, the hardest thing for a preacher to do is preach your guts out. Knowing who you're talking to. Knowing those people need a move of God in their life. Knowing that if they will only understand and come to an altar, that God can restore a family. He can restore a marriage. He can heal their body. He can fill them with the Holy Ghost. And knowing what God can do and have people willingly turn away and walk out of a door. And there's nothing you can do. You talk about rip a preacher's heart out. And you go to prayer and you cry and you agonize and say, God, why won't you do something? God, why can't you do it? But the reality of it is, God can only do what we believe he can do. As much as God wants to do it, as much as God wants to turn your life around, as much as God wants to restore your marriage and your family and heal your body, the only thing that will stop God is unbelief. And if you won't believe it, you have tied God's hand in your life. I believe this morning, if we can start believing, if we can get our faith level where it needs to be, I don't care what the doctors say. I don't care what your family says. I don't care if they wrote you off and said there's no way you can do anything good with your life. If you can believe it, God can perform it. Believe it. Believe it. Believe it. I believe that God is grieved. And God is angered over unbelief. I believe he is. I, I believe I have scripture to support that statement. In the Old Testament, they were instructed to send 12 spies into the promised land. 12 men chosen, one from each tribe, to go into this dimension that God had promised them. 12 spies. I want you to go. I want you to give an account of what you see. And so they came back and they spoke of the good things. They gave reports of the honey and the milk and the fruit. But there were ten who were so focused on the impossibility of defeating those giants. And two said, I believe we can do this. They were filled with unbelief. And you know the story, they spent 40 years wandering in a wilderness because of unbelief. And if you search it all out and keep reading, all ten of those men died of a plague eventually except Joshua and except Caleb. God hates unbelief. In fact, 
If you go to the book of Hebrews, when God, when God spoke through Paul to the New Testament church, that's us. Here's what he said in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 8. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. He goes all the way back to the 12 spies. Goes all the way back to generation upon generation. He said, harden not your hearts in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Watch this. Wherefore was I grieved with that generation. Unbelief grieves the heart of God. It's an insult to his capabilities, his abilities, and his power. When we don't believe he's able, God takes it personal. Because we're questioning his authority. We're questioning his power. And so he said, Wherefore was I grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, because of their unbelief, hear me, because of their unbelief, they shall not enter into my rest. Now we're paralleling the promised land in the Old Testament to the new Jerusalem of the New Testament. And God is drawing a parallel between the two and said if unbelief kept them out of the promised land, then unbelief will keep you out of heaven. That's what he's saying. So watch this. Take heed, brethren, Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, we equate an evil heart as people who are living in gross sin, in terrible sin. You think about, you think about evil people. We, that's, but God said, an unbelieving heart. You can be dressed... From head to toe like you're supposed to. You could be in the church doors every time they open. You could sing in the choir. You can give in the offering. You could do everything you're supposed to do. But an unbelieving heart is an evil heart. Because God takes offense at your unbelief. God stands in amazement and says, how, after all I've done for you, after I have redeemed you, after I have washed you, after I have provided for you, and now you get in a dilemma and you don't believe in my power? Unbelief. It robs God of an opportunity to reveal his power in our lives. It, it robs God of an opportunity to show his glory in the midst. I, I, I thought last night in prayer, God forgive me for those times where I had an evil heart. Forgive me for those times where I relied on my ingenuity and intellect rather than entrusting your ways, God. Forgive me those times I made a mess out of my circumstance because I couldn't trust you to do it your way. I, I wasn't patient enough, God. And I said, God, cleanse me of an evil heart. And I believe tonight or this morning, if we'll say, God, get rid of the unbelief. Get rid I don't care what anybody says. I believe, God. I believe, God. I believe you can walk out of here changed. The power of the Holy Ghost. See, unbelief is rooted in the heart. 
not in the head. We can know of his power without believing in his power. We have knowledge right here of what God can do. Unbelief is not rooted in the mind. It's rooted in the heart. I, I remember several years ago, my cousin told me this preacher came to their church. And all the youth were sitting up front, guys and girls. And, and he, walked, he walked up to the, one of the people in the front row. He was talking about miracle signs and wonders and the power of the church and all this kind of stuff. And he looked at her and said, I want you to tell me, do you believe that God is able to do anything he says he can? Do you believe he's able to raise somebody out of a wheelchair? And he named all these miracles. And then he threatened her. He said, you better tell me the truth or God's going to show me. Well, she fessed up real quick. She said, no, I don't believe it. He said, why don't you believe it? You know what she said? Because I've never seen it. She knew he could do it. She knew he was able. She had a knowledge of it. But her unbelief was in her heart because she had never seen it happen. She knew God could, but because she never saw it, she didn't truly believe. And there are times where we know God's able, but our belief is rooted in the fact because he has not done it yet. We don't believe he will. There was a man that came to Jesus in Mark chapter 9 on behalf of his demon-possessed son. And when he approached Jesus, his son began to wall on the ground and foam at the mouth. And the Lord spoke these words to him. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Now this man's son is wallowing on the ground. He had lived with this continual avenue of torment, constantly reaffirming the impossibility in his son's life. And in the midst of looking at this thing that he had been living with for so long, this impossibility, the Lord said, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how long you've had to live with it. I don't care how impossible it looks. If you can believe, all things are possible. If you can get beyond the exterior, if you can get beyond how bad it is, if you can scrape away the emotions that the devil has tormented you with uh, in living with it for so long, if you can get beyond that uh, and get down in your gut uh, and say, I don't care if it happens today, if it happens tomorrow, if it happens next year, uh, my faith is unwavering. Uh, I will believe uh, in spite of what hell tells me. uh, I'm going to believe. And straightway the father of the child cried out. We're talking about a real person, a real daddy who had been tormented because of this and said, Lord, I believe. I know you can, God. His belief was in the fact that he knew he was able, but he said, help thou my unbelief. His unbelief was rooted in the fact that it hadn't happened yet. And many times that's where our unbelief is. Because God hasn't done it yet, we start we start taking our belief off the table. But the Lord spoke to that deaf and dumb spirit. And that boy was made whole. And you know what? That man left that day believing because he saw God do it with his eyes. Can I tell you today, you don't have to walk out of here the same way that you came. But you can leave made whole by the presence of the Most High God. 
clap your hands all over this building. Somebody say, I believe. I believe. You got to get beyond what it looks like. You got to get beyond how bad it is. You got to get beyond the fact that God hasn't done it yet. And you got to still believe. You got to believe. Believe is the first requirement in coming to God. You got to believe that without faith it's impossible to please Him. Watch this. For He that cometh to God. The first thing that happens when you come to God is you believe. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. He is what? He is everything his word says he is. He's everything you need him to be. The only reason, you didn't come down to an altar and get the Holy Ghost just because you didn't have nothing better to do. You know why you came to get the Holy Ghost? Because you believe the word of God. And you believe that God could give you a brand new start. You believe that God can cleanse you of all your sin. You believe. First thing that happened in your spirit was you believed. Can I tell you that the reason that has to be first is because that's what every miracle is based upon from there on after? Everything is based upon will you believe me or not believe me? It's the first thing. Hear me. I've never seen a sinner God couldn't save. I've never seen a problem God couldn't fix, a heart that God couldn't mend, a sickness God couldn't cure, a life God couldn't restore, a spirit God couldn't lift, a body God couldn't repair, a drunkard God couldn't sober, or a promise God couldn't fulfill. But everything that God does starts when somebody will believe that He's going to do it. Clap your hands and say, I believe. I believe. I believe in God. Stand with me right now. I feel the Holy Ghost moving to this place. I don't care what kind of sin you lived in. I don't care how bad you were. I don't care how far you ran. You've never outrun God. His ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. Neither is his arm short that he cannot reach. There isn't a problem that you faced that God didn't have an answer for. There isn't a sickness that's racked your body that God didn't have a cure for. God. See, if you approach God on an intellectual level only, then God can be no bigger than your mind. And he cannot step out of the box of your mental conception. But when you take the perimeters off of God and you say, God, I don't care how you do it. I don't care when you do it. I just want you to know I'm going to believe you're going to do it. I'm going to believe you're going to do it. God, you do it how you want to do it. You got to believe. You got to believe. What are you doing, preacher? I'm trying to build your faith because the world has tore it down. Circumstances have bombarded our lives and we have become bound by the what ifs. What if I pray and it doesn't happen? What if I what if I step out in obedience and I don't get the Holy Ghost? Friend, understand. Miracles and the Holy Ghost is called supernatural for a reason. It takes two parts: the super, which is God, and the natural, which is us. Our part is the natural, what we can control. What we can do. We have to worry about our part. 
We have to do what we can do and trust God to do what he can do. And it's not our responsibility to question. It's our responsibility to believe and to respond to the tug of God's spirit on our heart. Heads bowed and eyes closed all across the building. I know without a shadow of a doubt I have spoken to several people today. Friend, if you need the Holy Ghost, if you've never repented of your sins and baptized in Jesus' name and spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance, it will give you a brand new start. You can walk out of here a brand new person in the Holy Ghost. The Bible said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All the things that haunted you are passed away. And behold, all things are new. You can walk out of here full of the Spirit of God today. If you're here and you need a healing, you need a miracle, you need God to intervene in your life, I'm telling you today, if you can believe it, God can perform it. If you can believe it, God can do a work in your life. I wonder by a show of hands if somebody in this building says, I need God to do something in my life. Uh, Would you slip your hand in the air? Nobody's looking around. You're honest with God right now. I need God to do something in my life. I'm tired of living like I'm living. I'm tired of doing what I've been doing. I I need God to do something in my life. Uh, That's beautiful. Hands down right now. I'm opening up these altars for every single person in this building that has enough faith to walk down here and believe that God is going to do a work in your life. Right now, why don't you move? Why don't you move quickly? That's beautiful. All across this building, God, I believe. God, I believe.